Greetings, friends. Future Andrew here, dropping into these past episodes to tell you thanks. Thanks for checking out RTAF. If you're valuing the show as a wellspring of inspiration and artistic fuel and would like to help keep the show going, you can find out more about how to do that at patreon.com slash podcast. Every little bit adds up and keeps me inspired to bring you quality content on a consistent basis. Thanks for listening, and stay creative. Greetings, RCAFers. Welcome to another episode. I'm Andrew Norris, your host. This week, we have the visionary legend, Vajra. Vajra is a painter making incredibly fractalized, psychedelic, geometric, heart-opening paintings. And in this episode, we get to hear Vajra's story, like we do with most new artists. We also talk about holding strong to the prices of your paintings. Uh, Vajra just sold two, two high-ticket items. One was a collaboration. One was his own painting. I ask him if he ever gets concerned about pricing his work too high. We, of course, talk about NFTs. Talk about some dark times, too. About how his house and studio burned down a few years back. Talk about some darker works that he's done. Fajra reveals his superpowers to us. And much more. So I think that you guys will love this episode. Please go check out Vajra at alteroftheheart.com. I think he makes some amazing art. And yeah, let's jump right into it. Thanks again for being here. Here we go. 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 So let's just get right into it. All right. Sounds yeah, good. brother. Cheers. Great. Cheers. <laughs> Let me lift my giant water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, so Eric. Should I call you Eric or, or like Vajra for the the official interview? I think Vajra for the official interview. Okay. Eric's like my friend name, but Okay, yeah, cool. Sweet. It's about the painter me, so Yes. Whatever. So. <laughs> How you been? I've been very good. I've been enjoying life a whole lot. Uh, I know that sounds kind of funny in quarantine, but uh, my wife's a musician. I'm an artist. We're used to a long time alone, and we've just been super productive and enjoying life together. And I've been making a lot of paintings, selling a lot of paintings, which is really surprising in this time. But I'm really happy about the way things are going. And just I keep on going every day. Yeah, dude, I don't think I've seen you in like five or six years at least. Yeah, it's I, I, been a long while. I was like racking my brain last night trying to figure out the last time I saw you. And um, I don't know, were you at Eclipse? Were you at the Eclipse Festival? Were you there? No, I was okay. going to go that week, but shortly before, like in the days before it was supposed to happen, I found a puppy dog and oh, nice. uh, she kind of took over. <laughs> but, oh, sweet. What kind of dog? 
Uh, she's a mutt, but we did the little genetic test, and she's a, a half Cocker Spaniel, Quarter Shih Tzu, and Chinese Crested. You met her back in the day. Her oh, name's Honey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah the, I remember Honey. Yeah, the little running rug. <laughs> okay. Sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah, man. Uh, dude, I've noticed you've been selling some very large ticket items. Congrats yeah. on those. Thank you. It took a little over a decade to get to that point, but I knew that if I held on to the pieces that meant so much to me, they would mean that much to someone down the line. And it seems like things are starting to finally align in that respect. So I couldn't be happier. Yeah. There's a lot of like power in your pieces. Thank you. How how much time do you spend on them? Um, well, the piece I recently sold, Sabek, uh, it's 24 by 36, and I sold it for $44,444. And um, <laughs> it, it does sound like a lot, but I did put a lot into it. I worked right. on that piece um, almost exclusively for maybe five to 12 hours a day for about four and a half months. Wow. So to try to make it, you know, compensate me for the time when it finally found its home. I felt like that was a good magical number for it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it takes, it takes a while sometimes. Sometimes I'll do a little piece in three days or a week, but I've spent up to three years on two different paintings, uh, man in the middle, the totem pole piece. And Love then that one. the wishes granted the dragon, those were each three year projects start to finish. And while I wasn't working on the whole time, mm-hmm. I put them aside and let them incubate. They still took thousands of hours a piece. So yeah. Well, that's that's only right, really. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, if you were getting paid $20 an hour for, you know, a thousand hours, it'd be 20,000 bucks. So yeah, anyway, it's always good to pay yourself uh, what you deserve. And yeah, that's, I've that's been pretty rad. so blessed. The support just kept coming in and in. Um, for the first three years, I just kind of painted at home. I didn't really show anybody my art. Mm -hmm. And then for the next maybe five, I started doing a lot of live painting and showing pieces, but just holding on to them until I could sell them for what they were worth to me. And Mm -hmm. then my first piece I sold for 1,111. It was a foot by a foot that I spent four days on. Uh, You are here. And then after that, it just kept on going up. And this year I started, started off on what I thought was a good foot. I sold one piece for 5555 another one for 7777 and then I did the collaboration with John and Sidewalks and we sold yeah. that for 22 grand before it was even finished. I love and that thing. And then yeah, congrats that was such a again. Joy to create with them. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But yeah, then then Sabet came as a windfall and so it seems like I finally hit that point where I'm really getting you know, supported as an artist and can just focus on that, which feels wonderful. That's awesome. Oh, well, thank you. so on the flip side of that, to ask just a little bit of a, like a tougher question, mm-hmm. do you, do you ever get concerned that maybe like, and I, and this is not uh, me making a judgment call cause I think of course, that, that yeah. work is worth it, but do you ever get concerned about, um, you know, pricing yourself, too high too early in your art career or do you do you just hold strong to to the faith that it'll keep happening 
Yeah, I've always just held strong. Um, you know, I make a range of different pieces. Like I said, some take three days, some take three years. And I've always priced them according to what I think they're worth and just held on to them until I got to that point. But it's been nice also having smaller pieces, you know, like little $100 pieces I do in a couple hours or like, you know, something in like the 500 to 2000 range just for anybody that wants to collect my art. Um, so I've always had different options and maybe that was not necessarily the way that people are told to do their work, right. but that's just kind of what I, what I felt and what I've held on to, And it seems to be paying off. It's been a decade. Maybe it would have been quicker if I'd done incremental, whatever, right, got but... more work out there, but then I would have been letting go pieces that were, you know, months long, year long projects for, you know, very little. Yeah. So I, I didn't really worry about it. I just stuck to my guns. I still have a couple pieces that I haven't even priced. I'm just like, make me a crazy offer and we'll see what happens. But <laughs> Nice. You know, one day I think those crazy offers will come as long as I just keep doing what I do. Yeah. You, you seem to be like really uh, internally guided. Yeah. Like you're not. I pretty much don't do anything unless it feels right. And, nice. you know, I always try to stay true to myself in whatever situation I find myself in. And I feel like that's gotten me a long way uh, with relatively little effort. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm sure it makes uh, saying no to things a lot easier. Yeah, it does. Sometimes it's hard, but sometimes you just know you got to just do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eventually the, the gears will align. Mm -hmm. So um, if you don't mind me asking again, just another question about the piece or the pieces that you've sold. Um, Ask anything you want. Were, were the collectors that, that bought those pieces, were they um, people that you knew? Or did you did they just find you at a show or online? Or how did it all happen? Um, I'd say a third of the people that I've sold paintings to I've met at festivals, maybe a third to a half of the people that I've sold. I met through live events over the years mm -hmm. and um, maybe about a quarter of them just find me randomly through Instagram or Facebook or whatever different, different groups they're in. And then probably about a quarter of the pieces I've sold, I sold to either friends or acquaintances or yeah, people I know. But. Nice. Nice. Do you cultivate like relationships with them? Or are you, uh, are you, it's impossible not to. Yeah. 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 You know, like, especially like back when we were doing a lot of live painting, it's like, you would see the same group of people like every month and it was just like hanging out with friends. Mm -hmm. And I made some really incredible friends through all of that, like you. And, you know, every time that I'd go out and I would paint, it was always a chance to reconnect with the pe people that, you know, I attract and that are attracted to me. And, um, yeah, over the years, I still stay in touch with some of the buyers that I haven't seen in a long time, just talking about different projects and what they're up to and what I'm up to. And it's always nice to stay in touch with the people that are, you know, that resonate with you that much that they want a piece of you in their home. Yeah. And I usually find that I'm equally, you know, drawn to them. And so it's always fun to stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One thing I just thought about is, is that your paintings are, are paintings that people they're not just buying them for well you know how the art game can be where people will buy something for the investment or like they want to have a return if they s sell it down the line but i think and i think a lot of us in our in our community are like this but people buy the work because they feel it mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. and uh and yeah yeah you can definitely feel it with, with yeah. your work. So, um, I want to pivot a little bit to, um, 
kind of like how you got your start. When mm-hmm. did you start painting? I started painting, well, I've drawn my whole life, but it was mm-hmm. always black and white. And it was always, you know, fairly postmodern, nihilistic, sarcastic, or like dark comment. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2008, I made a piece for my partner at the time, Sarah, called Pathfinder. Um, that kind of celebrated the night that brought us together. And I spent a year working on this as a birthday present, as a colored pencil drawing. And it was the first piece I'd ever done in color. And I've digitized it for, for my website and prints and things, but it was the first piece that really got me creating art from a place of positivity and love and, you know, beauty. And so I was really disillusioned with some of the things I was going through in school. And, you know, in the end, everything just kind of melted away. And it was like, oh, well, here's this talent you've always had that you've always ignored. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously you can change lives with what you do. Like, so how about you explore that? Like, I always wanted to save the world, you know, and that Mm -hmm. to me felt like my greatest opportunity to, to reach people at a heart level. And so in 2009, I started painting. Uh, my first painting was a portrait of my cat yawning called Pandora's Box, the big old flaming cat head. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, it's a 16 by 20 that I worked on for about three months. I just went to Michael's and I picked up a bunch of painting for dummies books and I got Alex Gray's Transfigurations. And so I kind of meshed the two in my mind. I was like, well, here's these techniques I'm learning about in these books that I want to try. And looking at his art, I was just like, well, how did he do that? I'm going to try to do that with these techniques. And so that painting was a big exploration for me and taught me so much. And after that, I, I, I loved acrylic painting. And so um, for about three years, yeah, as I mentioned previously, I just worked at home and tried to build up a body of work so that when I finally, you know, exp- expressed myself to the world, there would be something to look at rather than just one piece or two. Nice. Um, the one behind me, Event Horizon, was my second painting. Um, it's wow. about a 48 by 48 by 48 inch triangle. <laughs> and I worked on that for about seven months. So in the first year, I painted two pieces. And then in the next year, I think I painted three. And the year after, I think I painted four. And I, I gradually, uh, as a self-taught artist, just kind of learned what works and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. so I became a little bit quicker and more adept to the point where I felt like I could paint live. I was like, well, you know, now people aren't just going to watch me stare at the piece and do a tiny bit and then (laughs) undo that little bit and redo something else, Um, which I still do to this day. If you've ever seen me live paint, it's pretty tedious sometimes. But um, so I thought, you know, I've been painting three years. So in 2012, I believe it was, I did my first live event at Lucidity um, where I showed my art for the first time. And then through different festivals, you know, around the world, like from here to Boom Festival in Portugal, for about 10 years, I painted live at different events. Some years I would do 10 events, some years I do 30. Wow. But um, to kind of support myself through that, I made a bunch of merchandise of my originals because I wasn't planning on selling my originals unless I could get, you know, what I needed to. Sure. And that happened recently. Um, but yeah, so I made a lot of stickers and shirts and tapestries and I'd go around painting live, set up in a little stall that I'd set up. And um, that's how I supported myself mostly um, until about four or five years ago when I started to sell originals. And the more originals I sold, I could do a little fewer festivals, sure. be a little bit more selective and all that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just over the years, 
reading a lot of books and doing a lot of practice and trying to learn from my mistakes and, mm. you know, getting myself out there as much as I could till the point where now I can, you know, focus a little bit more on work at home. So. Yeah. Very nice. Did, so did you have a job, like a side job at all when you were yeah. doing that, in that process? Yeah. I was uh, really grateful to have a day job that I could stand by. Um, and it was a job that allowed me to just work weekends. I worked at an organic fruit and vegetable stand at a farmer's market. Nice. Um, uh, Tutti Fruity Farms was the name of the farm that I worked for. Uh, my good friend, Oren, he's the son of the farmer. He was the best man at my wedding. Um, every week, it was uh, just two days out of the week. And I'd get all the organic food that I wanted and enough money to cover expenses. And it was more or less just hanging out with my good friend and joking <laughs> and having a good time and selling organic produce to people. <laughs> um, so I did that, I think, for about eight or nine, maybe even 10 years. I kind of lost oh, cool. track. but. Um, that really helped a lot. And, um, yeah, one day I got the opportunity to, so a friend of mine named Brandon Beecham, he's the guy that does the positive head podcasts. Mm -hmm. He is, um, a good friend patron. He bought the Demiurge, um, which is kind of what brought us together. And he offered me about two years ago, the chance to be on a talk show he was starting based on the same kind of conscious content that he does in his podcast. Mm -hmm. And he was going to feature a live painter at every monologue that then he would turn to and talk to about it. And um, then an interview with somebody and then a musical guest at the end. And so I think it was summer solstice two years ago that he called me and asked if I wanted to be on his first episode as the pilot artist and painter. And I just felt there were big things coming. And I told my boss, Oren, at the farmer's market, mm. I was like, buddy, this has been the best time I could have ever asked for. And mm. you've done so much for me, but I think I've got to go. Something big seems like it's going to happen. Yeah. And um, so I went and I did episode one of Optimistic and I was the, the painter on the first episode. My now wife, Imagica, Imagica Ohm was the musician on that episode. And we actually met that night at that house, <laughs> fell in love and got married there four months later. Wow. And the time in between was a whirlwind of just traveling different places and doing different uh, events. And I was also working on, in the same house, Mystic Manor coordinating Mystic Hearts Gallery, which was one of the first visionary art galleries, I think, in California. And it's in his big old mansion of a place I brought together art by Luis Tamani and Luke Brown and myself and Ashley Foreman and Ishkala and Radhika and all of our friends and all of the people that I felt deserved a chance to really shine. Um, so I spent a good deal of time after I left the farmer's market getting that together and orchestrated as well as planning my wedding and also helping with Optimistic bring different painters, live painters onto the show that mm -hmm. would be the painter in whatever episode. And so that was a really super fun experience. And then squeezed in my honeymoon Hawaii, you know, right before COVID really hit and then everything shut down. Mm. But um for me, it all worked out in really good timing. Like every day I'm so grateful that I was able to hop on that show and meet my wife and get married yeah. and do everything we <laughs> needed to right before everything happened. And, um, you know, we're going to get back to work with Optimistic and Mystic Hearts Gallery soon. For now, I'm just focusing on online sales for Mystic Hearts. But um, 
yeah, I knew something big was happening. I just didn't know what it was going to be, but it was something I never expected, couldn't even dream of, but makes me happier than anything that it it actually did. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's talking about that inner guidance. Yes, exactly. Like, something is going to happen. I, I think I need to let this go. And mm-hmm. everything else just rushed in to fill its place. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. So do you think that's what happens when you sort of invest in being just attuned to what whatever... Do you, do you think it's like a thought or a feeling or, or somewhere in between like what someone might call intuition or yeah. did you have a, yeah, it was like that. It's intuition. Okay. Um, but you know, sometimes I followed my intuition and it causes me pain and hardship and stress and struggle. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, even if that happens, you're still following your intuition. Mm-hmm. You're like, I should do this, whether it brings me a painful lesson or a beautiful gift. And, you know, I think that as long as you follow your heart, you can't really do wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't had anything that's ever just completely thrown me off track or anything. Like, you know, my house burned down in the Thomas fire and all that. But, you know, I took it as an opportunity to regrow and rebuild things better than they were. And now I look at my life and I'm just so grateful that it happened. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, The difference between, uh, you know, an amazing windfall and struggling and striving and maybe suffering a little bit is it's kind of just a matter of like time plus perspective, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like if you look at a really bad event up close in the moment, you're just like, oh, this like, is the worst uh, thing that's ever happened, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, if you just go back in time and you don't look at what happened after, you can look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's the same horrible thing. Mm-hmm. But then down the line, you're like, oh, but all this good stuff happened because that bad thing happened. Yeah. So it really is just kind of the ebb and flow of, you know, energy in the universe. And to judge it is to, you know, take a pretty narrow focus on one particular moment yeah disregarding everything that ever led to that moment that was good and bad and everything good and bad that's going to happen because of that yeah context is so important yeah it's all about where you focus and i think that like um you know that old saying pain is inevitable suffering is is a choice um it's it's kind of like dancing around that um but yeah i think when you just get too attached to like a judgment or a thought things Mm -hmm. you kind of stifle yourself Mm -hmm. and then you don't have the the openness to realize when things are like tugging at your sleeve a little bit exactly um a good example of that is that after the thomas fire happened i ended up in this pretty downward spiral and i was just like oh poor me all this horrible stuff is happening because it was one thing after another um i won't go into it but the fire was just the beginning of some very downhill stuff was uh so for people who don't know Tell us what happened, like what you lost during the fire. Okay. So in- If you don't um, mind, I know it's like- No, absolutely. No, no, no. Um, So in 2009, I moved to Ventura, California with my partner at the time, Sarah, and we lived there for 10 years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that we ever owned, everything like childhood memories, childhood relics, family heirlooms, everything we'd acquired together, uh, gifts for each other, um, and everything that we'd created since we'd been there burned that night, uh, December 12th, I believe 2018. Mm. And, um, the power went out, nobody came to our door. We didn't get any alerts or anything, but all of a sudden, uh, I, I went outside and the sky was orange behind our house. And I was just like, Oh, that's what's happening. And you could smell fire on the wind. And there were, I think 70 mile per hour gusts that night in a wildfire that took out the power. 
and took out the uh, water pressure. So you couldn't even turn on a hose and try to put things out yourself. Wow. Um, but yeah, um, I lost a lot of sketchbooks. I lost about uh, half of my original paintings and everything else. And so did Sarah, uh, but we were fortunate enough to save our pets and save, you know, the pieces that were the most important to me in our computers. And we took off as the fire literally chased us off the property, mm. like a 30 foot wall of flame. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about that is that earlier that year, I'd started a painting that at the time was called the Jester and the Jack-o'-lantern. And it was this little man stepping into a ring of fire at a giant flaming pumpkin in front of him that mm. was being blown out by this trickster God at the top. Mm. And so I painted that and it burned. And then I realized, oh, wow, like I literally became that person that I was painting. And the whole yeah. message of that painting was, you know, if you rise to the challenges and you don't step back in fear or mm. self-pity or doubt or anything, then, you know, that you become a better person through the experience, through the struggle and the trial. And so I repainted it and I went back to my house and I gathered uh, some burnt beams from, you know, the wreckage of what was, mm -hmm. I ground them down into black powder and mixed them with matte medium. And I used them in a series of paintings that um, recreated works that I'd done, but better than before. And the jester and the jack-o'-lantern became trials and transformation. Nice. Um, but um yeah, that was a really interesting piece of art. It's like, was that, you know, did I manifest the fire in my life? Was I seeing something that was going to happen to me? But it happened. The painting became real for me. Yeah. And, you know, when I realized, like, you need to step into that ring, you need to face the challenges instead of shrinking for, from them, that things started to change. Um, so before I repainted Trials and Transformation, um, the first painting I did, as I mentioned, my life was kind of going in this downward spiral yeah. and, you know, it really is about intention. Um, and so I realized like, oh, you know, I need to do something to make the best out of this. And I started a painting um, called From the Ashes, where I took that first mix of the Phoenix black ash paint, mm -hmm. spread it onto a piece, and then I painted a phoenix rising up out of it. And the day I finished that was the day that things actually started to shift. Nice. And it was so interesting. It was just like, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, maybe there is something to be said for fate, but I think there's also something to be said for free will and, mm -hmm. you know, the nexus of the two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you may get thrown curveballs and everything, but as long as you're, you know, following your, your inner guidance, you know, the meeting of those two is going to result in something beautiful. And, you know, it's not to say things aren't going to get hard again, but just stay true to yourself. And I don't think you could ask for a better guide. Mm, nice. I have a confession to make. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> I don't believe in free will. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah? Yeah. So, um... Always questioning. Just cause... I don't know. Cause and effect seems... I think maybe I, I've sort of, um broaden my thinking on it recently mm -hmm. like maybe it's a little bit of both like mm -hmm. like we're free to choose what's in front of us but we're not free to choose or we're sorry we're free to choose between what's in front of us but we're not free to choose what's actually in front of us sometimes because like if you had uh, like comp complete free will do you think mm -hmm. you would have been like you know 
welcoming that fire. Well, if time is non-local and mm -hmm. I could know that I was going to end up in the place that I was, I would then welcome you would. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm willing to, to bet that time's non-local. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that way. I don't know. We don't have to get into a huge philosophical debate. Um, but, you know, remote viewing, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you ever have any like dreams that predict the future or? Uh, I've had a few. Yeah, um, I have too. I can't remember the last one, but I pay a lot of attention to my dreams and I write them all down and a few you of them all dream of them about down? something. Um, I used to write all of them down. These mm -hmm. days I write down the most interesting. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had a few that have come true and you always have to wonder what, what was that? <laughs> right, I always wonder if it was, did it come true because you dreamt it or were you having a premonition because it was like destined to happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's impossible to say. It's kind of like, is any thought original or sure. are we actually just tuning our little station and picking up on quantum thoughts drifting by? That's kind and, of you know, what I think. What, yeah. Yeah, because I think people think that they have thoughts or that they think them, like that they, that th these are my thoughts, you know? Mm -hmm. But really, I think just based on experience, you can just sit around in a room and stare at the wall and just see what happens. I don't know. Anyway, um, so we were talking about the fire and how you made the choice to turn it into a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And did you have to cultivate some sort of faith or did you just know like that things were going to be all right? Um, I didn't know that things were going to be all right. Okay. And there was no inner faith really. Mm. It was just kind of a decision that I needed to turn things around. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I was going to stop wallowing and feeling sorry about, you know, for myself and for all the things I was having to go through and just be like, okay, well, how do you turn this into a win? Yeah. And so that's when I, I looked through the catalog of my paintings that had burned and there were a handful that were so meaningful to me, but that I never really did justice. Uh, Nest is one of them. Uh, when I met you over at the, the airport in West Virginia and we drove <laughs> to, to Rootwire, I was working on Nest 1.0. Mm -hmm. And it was such a beautiful concept. It's this being presenting itself, presenting itself infinitely around its own heart, kind of telling the story that our heart is our gateway to infinity. And, you know, it was so beautiful. And then when I finished it, I was just like, this isn't really doing it for me. So I just left it alone and I considered it done, but it never really did it for me. Um, same with the jester and the jack-o'-lantern and a couple others. And so after they burned, I was like, well, that's why they burned so that you could make them better. Mm. And so um, that was kind of my, my big turning point internally was just like, okay, well, this happened for a reason here's a good reason. Now get to work. And so it wasn't <laughs> believing things were going to get better. It was just knowing that I had to do something. Right. And when I made that choice, things started to get better. Yeah. As I mentioned with the, the, from the ashes piece. So, and I'm sure it just felt better than sitting around being like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and you know, there, yeah. there it is again. Like if you can just follow the, the good feeling most of mm -hmm. the time, you don't want to get too caught up in the substances or anything, but no, you can follow good feelings or just like being like, what feels better than just sitting around moping or sitting around, you know, 
you know, you can do something for a while that might make you feel good. But then I think as soon, for me at least, as soon as I notice it, like sort of being like, well, I don't know why I feel this way right now. This thing that I used to do was bringing me some kind of happiness, but now I'm, I'm seeing that it's like not so much. You got to shift gears. And again, getting back to the, uh, the inner, inner guidance, the intuition. Yeah. Um, so I was scrolling through your Instagram last night, as you probably know. And, uh, I, I stumbled upon those, uh, the dark series that you did, the kind of like uh, ghostly, ghost. yeah, yeah, those are pretty cool, man. They're they're quite different from your other work. Um, Agreed. Maybe just if you could just give us a rundown of of maybe why you paint those in addition to like these super heart centric, like positive, radiating yep. pieces that you do. So, um, I started the ghost series again after the Thomas fire. Mm -hmm. And as you know, most of my work is really carefully planned and really beautifully crafted and also thought out. And after the Thomas fire, the first works I was compelled to make were the total opposite. They were just chaos and movement and abstraction and, and madness basically. Mm -hmm. And I, I started experimenting with fluid acrylics. And um, so all pretty much all the pieces in the ghost series, as I call it, uh, were done with experiments of fluid acrylic, mostly white on black, and then some, some painting and effects afterwards. And uh, just the way it worked out, I started painting all these ghosts, all these ghosts and demons and darkness and, you know, pretty crazy scenes. And it was like, like nothing I'd done recently. It's not too far from what I used to do when I was younger and angsty and just feeling all this emotion that I didn't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I view the ghost series is it was kind of like I was going through this really dark period where everything seemed so miserable and abominable. And so it was kind of like a purgative series for me. Yeah. Um, I made about 12 of them in like two weeks or something like that. And it was really just me getting out, I guess, the darkness that I felt I'd been accumulating. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, really fun and liberating. It's like, oh, you don't need to have total control over everything. You can still make beautiful art if you just let go and see what happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, while I stopped making the ghost series, like I felt at this one point, like I'd wrapped it up. Um, I started to kind of employ the same methods in a few different pieces um, where, again, it starts with chaos. Right. It would be just leftover paint from other works that I was creating that I would just smear on a piece of canvas. And then the next time I'd smear more on, or I would use an actual piece of wood as my palette and just see what kind of emerged. And to me, um, upon reflection, that was a lot of subconscious processing and uh, like finding strength again and finding that inner guidance again and finding meaning in the madness. Yeah. So I would stare at this piece of, of wood or canvas that just had all these crazy smears all over it. And then I would turn it and I would look at it. And then eventually I'd be like, oh, wow, there's, you know, the Buddha under the Bodhi tree surrounded by Mara's army of darkness, but he's untouchable because he centered it himself mm -hmm. like crazy. Like I wouldn't have thought to paint that, but there it is. Yeah, yeah. And so then like refining that with the skills that I developed before doing the more precise work. So um, for a while, I got really into that just uh, experimental painting and 
really trying to to look into what was rather than forcing what I thought should be. Yeah. And so these days, a lot of my work has been centered around kind of merging the two perspectives. Awesome. It's kind of like the descent of grace being the chaos in a way, and then the aspiration of will being the form and the structure and kind of uniting them in different pieces. But uh, recently I have gotten back into some very precise stuff. Like sometimes you just need that um, to really get the point across. So there's a couple pieces I've been working on lately that really get back to the old um, beautiful geometric, highly constructed style. Yeah. And it's nice now having the option to go back and forth. You know, if I need to vent, I can just smear some paint around and see what happens and make a little thing and be happy about that and then go back to work on the bigger piece. And yeah. so it's all about finding balance for me, really. That's kind of the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel you on that. Um, that's kind of how my process goes lately is, uh, well, maybe how it's always gone is sort of making a mess and maybe having an idea of what I want to paint. Oh, I just got the mm -hmm. internet connection unstable sign. Can you still hear me? Oh, no, sorry. I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so your process, I, I definitely wanted to ask you about it. Are you, are you, okay, so, but now you're, you're integrating this sort of wild style for lack of a better term, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and then are you, carving out sort of what you might see in there exactly okay so i'll stare um i don't do it so much anymore but when i do the process i basically just stare at the piece and then if it doesn't say anything to me i'll just keep smearing stuff on top over time mm -hmm. and then eventually when i look at it just this image pops out and then i'll use you know traditional painting techniques to bring those images out and tell the story that I see happening there. Sure. But usually it, it's not even that much work. Like the ghost series, like I would look at one of those smears and then I'd be like, oh, look at all these faces and look at all these bodies and look at this cave system developing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just spending like a day of work, just like doing a little bit of tracing and embellishing and like pushing and pulling of certain things. But um, yeah, that's more just kind of seeing what's there and bringing it out. It's cool because I, I love your, I definitely love the geometric, work that you do, the more visionary stuff. But I guess you could call even just smearing stuff around and diving into that darkness uh, mm -hmm. a visionary, you know, like mm -hmm. sort of reminded me of like, uh, it's, I always have trouble with his name, but uh, Zdzislaw Bekskinski or whatever. Oh yeah. Bikins I think Bekinski, but I, I, just, I still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it had the, the kind of textury, like, Mm -hmm. like fabric sort of like vibe to it. And uh, I, I really like abstract paintings for that reason. Cause you sort of, the viewer kind of gets to, it, it's sort of like a collaboration between the artist and the viewer because the viewer gets to impose what they see in there, right. you know? And even, yeah. e even with, you know, like I guess the viewer will do that no matter what's on the canvas a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, like I'm sure you've had people come up to you at, at festivals and just drop this like story on you that you would have never thought of. Yeah. Have you had that? But oftentimes they have some pretty interesting insight. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I see that now. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. they're super on point and other times yeah. they're not, but like you got to appreciate both because yeah. people are taking time to like look at the art, you know, yeah. which is what yeah. is important, I suppose. Yeah, and it's fun to see how it kind of reflects through them. It's just like, oh, cool. 
<laughs> so something that just occurred to me, do you think that like going into the, the kind of darker series um, was, was super important in a way? Like, were you in touch with the dark side at all before that? Or had it, do you think maybe you weren't looking at it enough I didn't, and I don't know who knows what all that means, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's been, um, an interesting journey over the years. Um, as I said, back when I was doing all the pen and ink stuff, a lot of my artwork was really dark, sure. um, super morbid, uh, pretty gnarly. Mm. And, you know, then I found like love and I started to blossom in other ways, exploring just beauty for beauty's sake and, you know, art for the sake of love. But I've always kind of stayed in touch, not with really the dark, but with the spectrum, I suppose you could say. Sure. Like uh, one painting that I made several Halloweens ago was uh, a mask of nature's vengeance on my uh, my website. It's called The Growl. And it's a pretty important piece to me personally, but it also represents, you know, the rep- retribution of natural forces for us pushing things too far out of balance. And mm-hmm. like, I've always felt like it's just as important to bring awareness to the things that need changing as much as the things that are awesome. Yes. And so um, I kind of do both in my art and I think a lot of people can see some elements of my past in even some of my more positive pieces. It's like, there's Mm -hmm. always some intensity or some ferocity Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's something there that's not just all sunshine and rainbows, but I think that it makes it more powerful. I mean, not to say that if, if all you do is sunshine and rainbows and you're really good at it, just do that. Right. Like, you know, if, if all you do is darkness, like you have to ask yourself why, but the reason why I include those things in my art is because, you know, it's not about judging one moment or one thing. It's about taking everything full spectrum Yeah, and, you know, acknowledging the role that each, you know, side of anything has to play like light, dark, male, female, good, bad, up, down. Like it's all just this beautiful dance of polarity. Um, so, um, the ghost series was though the first series that I ever made that was basically just dark um, ever since I started doing visionary art. Right. And again, I think the reason that was happening is because I was processing a lot of darkness and it was my way of just purging it, getting it out, looking at it, you know, realizing it for what it is and then moving on. Nice. Yeah. And so far as like art being an alchemical process, that's kind of what I was getting at is like, you know, sometimes you got to start all over and go back to the prima materia of your mm-hmm. psyche and, mm-hmm. and smelt it down and then re-solidify it into something, you know, that, that makes more sense or, or can, can bring about that gold. Yeah. Like if, if in that time period I'd been trying to paint like kittens playing in fields of rainbow flowers, like it, it wouldn't have done anything <laughs> for me and it wouldn't have meant anything. It's like, I needed to do what I needed to do then. Yeah. And then I could yeah, get yeah. back to making more like positive heart centered, just like purely uh, benevolent pieces. Will you make some kittens like running in rainbows with flowers for us? I mean, maybe I, one day. You don't have to, no pressure, no pressure. I don't know. When's your but- birthday? <laughs> 
June 17th. Uh, okay. So, you know, I'll send you my address after the uh, All right. show's done. Yeah. All right. Let's stay in touch. <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because um, I can't stop thinking about it, are, is the, like, have you heard of NFTs? Yeah, actually. Um, so I've got a good friend, Scott Bieben, uh, with Offworld NFT. He's working with Rare.Tech, I think it's called. I'm writing that down. Um, <laughs> and we're releasing uh, the first NFT that I'll ever release is a collaboration with, is the collaboration with Jonathan and and Blake. That's uh, what's yeah. So it'll be the first NFT that any one of the three of us has released and so that's probably coming out next month. We were going to do it this month, but there's a lot of technical aspects um, mm. involved in that we are not just making an NFT that's a picture uh, with a value. Sure. Uh, we're offering rich content like interviews and behind the scenes footage and like the whole story of the piece and how it came to be such that when you purchase the NFT, you go to a portal put in your number and then you have access to all the rich content. Yeah. So there's a lot of orchestrating for, for that to come together, but yeah, probably next month we'll be releasing our first, first NFTs collectively, the three of us. Well, congrats on that, man. That's, that's huge. Thank you. Yeah. I'm working yeah, I'm on excited. minting my, my first right now. I was thinking about putting um, like elements of movement and, or like depth in there. And I've been listening to a lot of people in the space talk kind of nonstop and um i want i want it to be you know this might be living in the future a little bit but time being non-local and stuff um you know i want the paintings that that we make to become like their own world like their own virtual reality that you could walk around in and i think that your paintings would really really lend themselves to that like especially nest because it's it's literally like you said it's a fractal of the same thing centered around that winged person's heart and it just keeps going and going and there's so much depth in there and and so much possibility yeah i'm just i'm really um really really i guess just excited that's not the right word i'm not like in a frenzy about it but yeah <laughs> You know, I, I was thinking like, I'm sure that like, um, you've had VJs like remix your work or something. Oh yeah. yeah. The first I ever started working with, with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Singer, yeah. him at Gem and Jam. And, um, I was just so impressed the first time I saw him working with my pieces. I felt like he was animating the energy that flows through them. Mm -hmm. And since then I've worked with Michael Strauss and uh, subliminal twin and a number of others who are all doing amazing work with it. It's always so fun to see a different person's take on how they would move your piece and what yeah. would move through it. And yeah, but yeah, the 3d world would be amazing. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not one of my skill sets, so that'll have to be someone else's right. forte. But right, you know, it's not mine either. Happy but to collaborate. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm actually kind of looking forward to to learning a little bit about it myself. Um, I don't know why. I just just think it would be cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like I see all these people. Like I, I feel like the future is for artists is to become a little multidisciplinary. And I think mm -hmm. like in term, not to get too meta here, but in terms of the podcast, like it's really helped develop parts of my brain that weren't mm -hmm. 
so developed. Like talking to a new person every week, or at least trying to make it every week, um, and, and developing the skill of like my hardest part is just like reaching out to people for some reason. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I just see the future being like more multidisciplinary. I don't know. I'm rambling now. Yeah. So thanks for coming <laughs> to my TED talk. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Eric, oh, sorry, Fajra, what's your superpower? Yes. Oh, dang. Like if I had to pick one or what it no, actually no, what, is. What, what do you think? It, it can be something as simple as, as just like a, a virtue or, or an adjective or something like that. Mm, creative expression <laughs> i guess <laughs> nice nice what about that well about what, you? what what about that though uh if you don't mind me diving a little deeper into that like what about what part of creative expression specifically do you think it's um mostly visual but sometimes verbal uh, a little time sonic here and there mm-hmm. um <laughs> But basically anything I've ever tried to do, even if I've never done it before, I can do it pretty well usually at first. And then it just gets better and better. And I'm usually able to actually convey certain things that are very strange to me. Uh, One second, my dog's barking. No worries. Honey, come here. Hey, honey, leave it. Okay. Uh, Hey, (laughs) knock it off. What are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> but um, yeah, creative expression, just being able to take the ideas in my head and actually make them real, not just for myself, but other people, mm. uh, whether that's, you know, picking up some, some hemp and some shells and some beads and making a crazy macrame necklace with patterns that I just kind of thought up on the spot or, you know, picking up a, a paintbrush and making Pandora's box being like, I'm just going to do it. Um, writing poetry comes really naturally to me. I've recently started doing some screenplays Ooh. and, um, can you really talk just about that? Excited about, Oh, I suppose I could talk a little bit about it. What's um, it about? It's really fun. Uh, I've got a few different ones going. Um, one of them is a story I'm calling crazy about a person that has been led to believe they're actually crazy their whole life, but really they serve two different groups that they're unaware of that have been manipulating them for their unique insight into non-physical reality. Oh, it sounds like and some CIA shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's loosely based on a little of this, a little of that, um, but somewhat fiction, somewhat, you know, nonfiction, but it's a, a, a tale about them realizing that they're not actually crazy and gaining some allies on their way toward trying to make a real difference beyond the influence of the influencers. Um, nice. So that's just a really fun thing to do that I've been doing for the past couple months is just writing a lot. Um yeah, I love, you know, making things with my hands, like for the wishes granted. I'd never made a real sculpture before, but I made a three foot long clay model of it that looked pretty much like the painting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just being able to, I guess maybe, maybe it's not creative expression. Maybe it's an extraordinary lack of self-doubt or something like that. Just hmm. being like, I'm going to do it. And I don't care if I can't, I'm just going to do it <laughs> and see what happens. So maybe it's just, you know, bravery, I guess, maybe is my superpower or Courage. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Not even doubting. That is, yeah, I would say that not having doubt is a superpower. 
And I think that you need it when you're, especially when you're first starting with uh, with a creative endeavor. Don't you think like there's- Yeah, no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, people get imposter syndrome maybe like down the line, but I think you have to just think that you're doing a great job at the beginning. For me, at least, I was like, man, this stuff is great. And now I'm more like, <laughs> now in my career, I'm more like, this is pretty good. And because I look back at my old work now and remember how I thought about it back then. And I was like, I was a little off if I'm being objective. Um, <laughs> and I, I, there's there's something to be said for both things, right? Because if you don't have doubt, then you're free to pick up whatever and express yourself however you want. Um, but then there's like the, the kind of, uh, molding and, and upping your skill level way of, of looking at things objectively. So again, balance, We're back to balance. <laughs> um, so as far as, uh, as far as the experience has, has taught you, what, what are some brutal facts about the art world? that you've come in contact with? Mm, it really takes time. Uh, at least it did for me to get the ball rolling. Um, and it takes a lot of work mm -hmm. and, you know, it's not like there's always some miracle patron coming through and being like, Hey, we're going to do this for you or some great gallery knocking at your door. Uh, I think one of the most brutal facts about the visionary art world is that it's not really taken all that seriously yet by the mainstream art world. Yeah. And so, you know, these pieces that we work on for three years would get, you know, a tenth or a hundredth or a thousandth as much on the market as a banana taped to a piece of board <laughs> or a straight line drawn through a white canvas mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, I guess the most brutal truth is that it really doesn't have to do well, the contemporary, like, you know, the modern big world art world doesn't really have that much to do with talent as much as it has to do with who you know, who supports you and, you know, how that goes. Yeah. Um, you can be the most talented person in the world and never sell a painting. Yep. Um, so it really isn't all that easy. But <laughs> I think that, you know, as long as you're doing what you want to do and, you know, making ends meet one way or another so that you can keep doing it, that, that that's really the most important thing. Like with me, like, again, I didn't get, you know, $44,000 sales the year I started that <laughs> right. took, you know, over a decade to cultivate through different relationships over the years. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's really special about the visionary art culture is it, it, it did flourish in the festival scene back when it was booming. And it offered us the chance to meet our patrons face-to-face -face mm -hmm. in a very genuine setting yeah. that isn't necessarily afforded in the gallery world. True. Um, like, you know, we became friends with a lot of people that buy our art and, you know, they're only maybe buying our art because they're our friends and they're, they see, you know, what we put into it and they know who we are. So that's one cool bonus about being outside of the mainstream art world is that you get to forge different connections than are possible within it. Mm -hmm. And I think they are very long lasting and, you know, just as important. So certainly why, a, why do you think visionary art cons. isn't, uh, cause I know why I think it is, but like, or, or isn't accepted in the wider art world, but why, mm -hmm. why do you think 
it's not given the love that that I mean, frankly, it deserves. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of biased and prejudiced. And, um, you know, I heard from a friend that had tried to start a visionary art gallery and failed that the, the main thing he thought was that it was that most people just assume that this art is just being done by a bunch of drugged out hippies, that it may as well be like flyer art for a grateful dead show or something like that. Hmm. And, um, don't really see the heart that we put into it and don't really know the story behind it. They're just kind of blinded by this like hippie shield or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) They have a conceptual like barrier. Yeah, I think so. Um, But you know, if like you or I were to talk to them and explain a certain piece that meant a lot to us, they might see it differently. But I think a lot of people, it's just so new to so many, Mm. even though, you know, people have been doing this since, you know, William Blake or, you know, visionary cave painters or whatever. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. Like, that's that's a perspective I heard about it. I don't know why I feel it hasn't really gotten the foothold yet. I think maybe because what we've been painting for so long has been outside of the realm of possibility for so many, just mm. in terms of, like, philosophy and thought that some of the concepts that we've been putting forward for decades and centuries haven't had the chance to take root in, you know, mass consciousness. Mm -hmm. But I think we do stand at a very valuable transition point where, you know, a lot of people are waking up to a lot of things that they think uh, should be more important or that they think need to change. And I think a lot of the concepts that humanity needs now to move forward is expressed in our art. And so we're getting the chance now to finally reach their hearts because now they're open to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while we've had a a hard go at it for a while, I think that um, our time is, is here now. And I'm very excited for our art to get out there on a wider level, not just because, you know, it's going to make us money or whatever, but because, you know, so much of, of what I do and so much of what so many of us do is tell things you know, share our philosophy, share our hearts through the paintings that Mm -hmm. we make. It's not like I choose my imagery randomly, like I'm a storyteller. And so I try to tell a visual story. And, you know, if our art were taken more seriously, those stories would reach more people and they would make a lot more change. And so, you know, hopefully the ball is rolling now, but it'll just start rolling faster and faster as time goes on. And, you know, the more chances we get to share our stories, the more chance those stories are going to change people and the more receptive they'll be to our stories. And I think we're all, you know, as visionary artists, stewards of consciousness. And um, yeah, I'm very excited for our time to come. Yeah, I think um, two things that came to mind that that might disrupt that old um, gallery system and people not understanding what what artists like you and I sometimes are, are saying is um, legalization of mushrooms and um the nft world to be honest um i've noticed one thing i've noticed is that people who are buying art as nfts really love it when there's a story when you are actually a storyteller not just an image maker um apparently that's what people are are really buying into and and talking about because it's all you know it's all forward facing it's all uh future looking and so anything that that 
breaks the paradigm or, or talks about a possible alternative futures, I think is being really well received in that space. So I think that's very good to know. You're going to crush it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully you too. Yeah, I think I will. I think, I mean, I honestly, I think that like most artists who are dedicated, who have taken the time, who have spent maybe a decade or, you know, the quote unquote 10,000 hours are going to come up. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? They're going to come up in a big way. And I'm like, I can't shut up about it. Like I'm going to keep talking about this space (laughs) and it is really it's true that it's like really saturated right now but um i think if you're in it for the right reasons and in it for the long haul like you Mm -hmm. could see some real benefits because Mm -hmm. it's a whole it's not only a whole new market but it's a whole new way to think about creating art and Mm -hmm. and and integrating with all this new technology which i think you know nothing is ever all good or all bad but like it's at least a different way of of kind of like conceptualizing the world that we live in. It's like another, it's like a simulation on top of a simulation maybe, which is, I mean, it's interesting. I think what we're seeing is that what people will come more and more to realize is that we all are little creators walking around and you know, the, like the idea of, of like a God or something is, is really just this i this idea of creation, this process of creation, and uh, anyway, I'll stop rambling. And no, it's a good ramble. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Um, I think you're right. I think that we all are, you know, creating the world that we know as individuals, but also the world that we share through every thought, word, and action. And mm-hmm. I think that um, you you have a good point that the NFT world is going to direct a lot more energy toward visionary art, culture, and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, everybody's taking part in this beautiful co-creative endeavor, and um, it's working out pretty good so far. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for, for you guys um, to drop that in the next month or so. And thanks for sharing yeah, that with us because I had no idea it was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's exciting. Yeah, dude. Uh, so what would your dream project be? Dream project would be a gallery that has certain works on permanent display that mm-hmm. aren't for sale. And that also has, you know, around that circular core, there would be another gallery with artworks for sale. And in the center would be a community space where classes could be taught by different people that have their works on display or just, you know, guest artists that come through to teach. It could be a place where, you know, dance events were held, kind of just like a cultural center, I think. Like a visionary cultural center would be my I, my dream project, I would mm. say. That's awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had thoughts about something similar. You know, it's cool to build community around what you do. And I think that's like mm-hmm. almost like one of the most important things that I'm, I'm slowly realizing about being an artist is really just like connecting with the people who who see your stuff and are resonating with it. At whatever level. Yeah, yeah. Whatever level they they want to give or, or want to receive it at. Um 
So I usually ask this question, but I've reframed it from what advice would you give to what's the best piece of advice that you have been given in your life? The hardest part about painting is picking up the brush. Nice. Because, you know, it was the truest for me, especially in the early days, just, you know, looking at the blank canvas and being like, oh, well, here's my drawing and it's so perfect. I don't want to ruin it with the painting I'm going to make. <laughs> but, you know, once you just start moving that brush around, it's all generally easy from then on. Like the hardest part is really, you know, it's not just about a painting. It's about any project. The, the hardest part in anything that you want to do or create or succeed in in life is just starting it. Because then once you start it, you know, you've got pathways forward and it's all just about paying attention and doing it and, you know, moving with, you know, your own rhythm and that around you. But the hardest part about anything is always starting it, I guess. Yeah. But I guess if I were to give advice, it would be, you know, just start it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty solid advice. I think I, I tell people that a lot too. They're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. And it's like, don't dip your toe in the water, just dive in. Because you're gonna see you're gonna see returns quicker than you think. Even if you think you suck. It's going to like you know, like even if you you're like, my art's not good, it, it's like whatever you're creating, there's this process that happens inside of you that I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it's definitely just made my mood better in general. So, yeah, if you're listening out there and you're thinking about it, just go do it. Just yeah. go do that. Because, you know, you might be thinking about it and then you start it and you're like, oh, that could have been better. But even if that's the case, you're still going to be happy because you've started doing what you actually wanted to. You're just going to get more and more, you know, stuck on the fact that you're not doing it if you're not doing it. And, you know, the more you do it, the better you get, better you feel, better it works out. So, yeah, just start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, um, what are you, what do you have in the works? Like, what are you starting? What have you been starting recently? Ooh, well, I started teaching ever since COVID. And so that's been really interesting. Actually, the first time I taught was at Rootwire. I did a, a little lecture on painting and stuff, but this, the first formal time I ever taught anything was actually at Mystic Manor where I was doing a, a week-long visionary painting intensive. And I had the, the pleasure of having seven students and really getting into the idea that teaching was something that I'm not only good at, but that I love doing and that I should be doing more. And so I was planning more events, but they've, they've largely gone digital at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And it's still really amazing. Like, even though it's just through Zoom, just, you know, how much you're able to change someone's perspective and still give them tools and, you know, help inspire and motivate and teach just digitally. So that's mm -hmm. one thing that I've been really into lately is just uh, is sharing knowledge, information and tips, techniques and, and teaching. Nice. So that's, that's one of the biggest projects I've been up to. Do you feel like you learn while you're teaching too? I think so. Yeah. Um, 
I think like you, the, the more you need to tell somebody what matters and what's important to you and your process, the more it emphasizes how much it matters and is important to your process to you. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of just like reminding yourself like, oh yeah, this, and why haven't I been thinking about that? That's a really good thing to do and, and that kind of stuff. So where can people um, find these classes that you're offering? Is it just kind of a um, one-on-one basis? You know, you can always message me on on Facebook or Instagram, but also on my website, I've got a really good contact system. It's uh, alteroftheheart.com, A-L-T-A-R. And also in my shop, I've just got classes that you can just, you know, click shop and then I'll message you once I, I get that and then work out a date that works for everybody. Um, but yeah, however it works out and uh, yeah, website or social media, you can always contact me. Very nice. Well, I bet you'll Hopefully you'll have some more people interested to learn. Oh, I hope so. It's always this. such a pleasure. Yeah. It's just so rewarding to to see the way that you are inspiring the next generation of creators. And just like, you know, they get so much out of it. And it's so beautiful to see the way that it transforms their art and, you know, enhances their creative potential and, you know, expressive ability. So it's it's always wonderful. I look forward to anybody that wants to take a class. Sweet. Well, um, I think we'll wrap it up here if that's all right with you, man. Um, Sounds good. I didn't have any more, you know, questions uh, written out or anything. And uh, I'm feeling, feeling pretty empty at this point, but good, but good at the same time. I'm feeling very full. So there we go. There's the balance. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet, man. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on Vajra and uh, likewise Andrew sharing some pleasure, some insights with us. Good to see you again. And thank you all for listening. It was a pleasure. Yep. Thank you everybody. We'll see you next time. You like art? You like art? Do you really, Do you like, really fucking like fucking art? art? Tune in to, Tune RCAF, in to RCAF next week. Next week. Next week.